I'm Monica Lopez, and this week on Making Contact, we present Episode 2 of The Response, a podcast series that explores remarkable communities in the aftermath of natural disasters. This week we go to Puerto Rico, an island that struggled both through political storms under colonizing forces, and storms quite literal and just as devastating. In September of 2017, Hurricane Maria ravaged Puerto Rico, causing thousands of deaths and knocking out power for nearly a year. Many consider it to be the worst natural disaster in U.S. history. But the government's response did not meet the basic needs of some communities. It became clear that survivors would have to turn to each other for mutual support. My name is Judith Rodriguez. My experience of the hurricane wasn't pleasant. I was sleeping when I heard a whistling sound. That whistling sound was the ugliest thing I've heard in my life. A whistling that was never silent. It was endless, almost two days. I thought that my house was in good condition. Well, at least I thought that. When I woke up at 2.30 in the morning, I felt scared. The first scare was when the back door went flying off. A metal door that was in the kitchen just went off flying. We're still looking for it. When Hurricane Maria slammed into Puerto Rico on September 20, 2017, the mountain town of Calle, where Judith Rodriguez lives, was, like much of the island, left without electricity for months on end. Winds reaching 175 miles per hour destroyed power lines and tore roofs off of houses. The result was the second longest blackout on record, and what many consider to be the worst natural disaster to ever hit the United States. No electricity meant that people had no way of doing some of what we considered to be some of the most basic of things, like cooking food, and not just in the immediate aftermath of the hurricane, but sometimes for months. This was true in towns all over the island, and it was a big problem. In the weeks after Maria hit, Judith had heard of an interesting place that had popped up, a kind of community kitchen in the neighboring town of Kawas. They were cooking food for people, and they needed help. She wanted to do something to pitch in. She didn't have much, but she decided to go up anyways. I first came here because I had a lot of dishes in my house, and I said, well, they're cooking for a lot of people. What if I donate the dishes that are just lying around in a corner of my house? I couldn't do anything with them at the moment anyways. I said, well, how can I help since this project sounds beautiful, people cooperating with each other. Judith wasn't the only one who had thought to help. In the weeks after Maria, something sort of remarkable had happened. The community kitchen had taken on a whole new life, and what started perhaps as just a few plates and volunteer cooks had grown into a fully-fledged community center. And in just a matter of months, it grew into an island-wide network of mutual aid centers, which, as we'll see, is quickly turning into a movement to transform Puerto Rico, one person at a time. You're listening to The Response, a podcast documentary series that explores how communities come together in the aftermath of disaster. I'm your host, Tom Llewellyn, and we'll spend our second episode in Puerto Rico.
I came here to offer the dishes, and I said, well, I'm in a hurry because I fell and have a hurt back. They said, we'll help you with that. That's when I discovered the amazing experience of acupuncture. In addition to providing food, the center in Kawas had started putting on weekly acupuncture clinics to help address some of the personal and collective shock felt throughout the community after the hurricane. I thought it was just putting in a needle, telling you something and teaching you how to breathe, and that was it. But this is much more than that, a kind of way of life. You learn how to live more relaxed, how to do things more calmly, how to have better judgment, and cooperating with others, because we're a community. Whether we want it or not, human beings are a community. If we're in China, in Puerto Rico, in Japan, wherever, we're a community. We have to help each other here in Puerto Rico, which I call the boat. If this boat sinks, we all sink. I don't sink alone, we all sink. Now, almost a year later, the acupuncture clinics are still going on. My name is Giovanni Roberto. I'm part of the organizing team here in the Mutual Aid Center of Caguas. Today we have in the weekly acupuncture clinic. We work with stress and post-traumatic syndrome, addictions, and other health issues. Puerto Rico's healthcare situation wasn't great before Maria, and the hurricane only made things worse. Many hospitals were left without electricity for months after the storm, and primary care became a luxury that few had access to. According to research published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the death toll, now estimated to be in the thousands, was primarily caused by interruptions in medical care. And a less visible effect of the hurricane was the trauma it inflicted on the Puerto Rican psyche. Suicide prevention hotlines were getting up to five, even 600 calls a day after the storm and physicians were reporting unprecedented numbers of mental health hospitalizations. Acupuncture clinics, like the one here at the Mutual Aid Center in Kawas, made a big difference for a lot of people. Giovanni told us about the experience of one of the women that came to the center's clinic. With the first day she came here, she was almost crying, like in a really stressful way. She was the last person that day, and since that day she had never an absent. She's not crying anymore. She's sleeping better. She said today to me that when she came here, she feels that she's in paradise. You know, like in a situation in which she feels so good that she forget about all the things in her normal life. And acupuncture did that to a lot of people. Similar to how the Occupy Wall Street movement transformed into a disaster relief effort after Hurricane Sandy, the seeds for the center that Giovanni co-founded were also planted by a grassroots social movement. What began with community kitchens for low-income students at the University of Puerto Rico quickly gained momentum with the historic strikes that took place in the spring of 2017, where thousands of university students gathered to resist massive budget cuts to the school system. When Maria hit the island, that network of activists and organizers didn't waste any time. They knew they had to do something to help, and so they began cooking food. Lots of it. Yeah, we were serving... 300, 400, 500 that first week of people in lunch, and sometimes 200 or close to 300 at breakfast. But they also had a larger vision. Instead of calling it just the community kitchen of Kawa, we tried to put a bigger name because we have an idea of building a center that 
could be more than just food. We know that after the hurricane, food was a strong necessity, but after a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two, other necessities like health issues arose and people have like living issues and medical issues and other issues that were not related necessarily directly related to Maria, but they were there before Maria. The larger vision that Giovanni and his fellow activists had was to create permanent projects that would go beyond basic disaster relief, a way of addressing some of the more chronic challenges people were facing on the island. So that's how we came with the idea of launching a, a community space called Mutual Aid Center. We did it here in Caguas, but also we were able to discuss the idea with other activists who were already doing things. And through that discussion, we came with the idea of doing the same thing in different places. So can we can create a network to make the idea of the mutual aid more stronger in the island. So it's probably a good time to unpack things a little bit. What exactly are all those chronic struggles that exist in Puerto Rico? Where to begin? If Puerto Rico was a state, it would be the poorest state in the U.S. 40% of the island lives below the U.S. poverty line. And maybe you're thinking, it's probably relatively cheaper to live in Puerto Rico. Not really. The cost of living in San Juan, the capital, is higher than it is in the average U.S. metropolitan area. Then there's the fact that 1 in 10 Puerto Ricans are unemployed. And of course, there's the debt. Puerto Rico has been struggling with a potentially illegitimate debt that has crippled the country's public services. For example, between 2010 and 2017, 340 schools were shut down. On top of that, pensions are being cut, healthcare services are being cut, the island is in bad shape. So when Maria hit, it didn't just tear the roofs off of buildings, it tore the lid off of an ongoing disaster. It woke people up. And Giovanni, like many other activists on the island, saw it as an opportunity, a chance to intervene. We see our project as a political project. We want Puerto Rico to be different. We want society to transform in some way. Uh, that means to transform values, the way people relate, the way people trust each other, the way people see communities. So we see this space as a, as a way of organizing people to gaining those values, to gain that experience. In a long-term vision, we want Puerto Rico full of mutual aid centers. We want to develop the concept of popular power, which is not a concept developed here in any way yet. My name is Astrid Cruz Negron. I'm a high school teacher. I teach Spanish and history, and I'm a member of the Federation of Teachers of Puerto Rico. That is, I'm active in the Teachers' Union. I'm also an activist and have been very involved in political, social, and environmental struggles in Utuato for as long as I can remember. We're now in Utuato, all the way on the other side of the island, in the central mountain range. Utuato was one of the towns most affected by the hurricane. The fact that we have so much water meant that the effects were more visible here. I think this town has the most aquifers, the most water in Puerto Rico, and the floods were huge. 
But it's also essential to look at the social aspect, which is that Utuato was abandoned by the state and federal governments a long time ago. Poverty in Utuato is very high, and unemployment is high. The biggest employer in Utuato is the municipal government and the Department of Education, the schools. But schools in Utuato are starting to disappear, just like on the rest of the island. Because of budget cuts, a quarter of schools in Puerto Rico are shutting down, displacing tens of thousands of students and their teachers. Three schools in Utuado were closed just this year. The school isn't just a school. It's a support center. With the hurricane, it became a refuge. It's a social center. It's the library in a neighborhood where there is only one, where the only social worker in the neighborhood is in that school. The school plays such an essential role. So we can't say that the state government abandoned Utuato because of the hurricane. They abandoned it long before, and the same goes for the federal government. You're listening to Making Contact and a special broadcast of the podcast series, The Response. You can help us do this work by making a donation right now at radioproject.org and hit the donate button. No corporate or government funding, just you. Any amount of support helps. Thank you. And now, back to the show. Actually, after the hurricane, the federal government did show up in Utuado. But it wasn't exactly the way that Astrid had hoped for. During the hurricane, the lines at the gas stations and in the supermarkets after they opened were controlled by the National Guard, who came in and gave orders to close the supermarket. There were trucks filled with water heading to local shops, and they seized them. The National Guard seized the water going to the shops. You might think that if the state seizes essential goods, that maybe they're going to distribute them around town, because that would make sense. But it isn't like that. We didn't see it going to the community afterwards. They kept the materials that they seized. In the federal post office of Utuato, the National Guard even seized containers to store gasoline. They seized the basic goods that our families in the diaspora sent us so we could survive that difficult time. It was in the midst of all this when Astrid and many others came to realize that if they were going to survive, they were going to have to do it on their own. So she started meeting with other members of her community, thinking about ways to move forward. The natural response of each one of us was to ask, what can I do beyond the temporary state assistance and beyond the hegemonic responses from governments and institutions that want to perpetuate the situation that existed before the hurricane? As an activist, one hopes for a better world and then looks for ways to not only solve the emergency, but every step we take is aimed at building that world we've always been working towards. It was around this time that Astrid ran into a group of community organizers who had just arrived in town from Kawas. They invited her to a meeting, and that's when things started to really take shape. They'd seen the example of the center that was emerging in Caguas, so they had stories to tell about this movement or phenomenon on the island. And so when we got together, there wasn't really much more to say. We were all on the same page. We had a job to do. 
to ensure the survival of the people and to also build something new and political that could arise from these efforts. The Mutual Aid Center of Utuado emerged somewhat spontaneously out of this shared vision for a better Puerto Rico. For a while, they didn't even have a physical space to call their own, and they were just working off the cuff, trying to get donated supplies out as fast as possible, and putting on activities in public squares, community centers, and schools. We've done a lot of activities with few resources, many deliveries of supplies, health fairs, community kitchens. We've had talks about water purification, filter distribution, civil rights, and legal talks. There was a helpful lawyer who led a conversation about the FEMA procedures and the rights of community members. It was very effective and people got very excited. They asked a lot of questions and we could see it created a lot of awareness. We also brought in artistic workshops. We saw the need, and people asked us for things other than technology to occupy their time when there was no electricity. We had activities to relax, activities to promote culture or keep busy. And so there were mandala workshops, origami workshops, plena workshops given by the members of Plena Combativa, who brought in political themes because the lyrics they used as an example for how to compose a plena were rhymes with a political meaning, and it was really wonderful as people began to compose their plena with a message about their situation. It's an emotional outlet. So we also handle the cultural and emotional part, I would say, because there was that outlet. For example, we brought in workshops on engraving, healing, massage, acupuncture, and natural medicine. We've really done a lot of activities. One of their more recent events was the Disaster Preparation Fair, with the focus on community education, teaching people skills like rainwater collection and map reading, for example. Maria isn't the only hurricane that's hit Puerto Rico, and it won't be the last. The reality of stronger and more frequent storms fueled by climate change makes this kind of preparedness incredibly important. But the activists and organizers here also always have an eye on the broader vision. The Mutual Aid Center definitely doesn't want to just remain in the emergency mindset of surviving Hurricane Maria. We want everything we do to build towards a new world, a new, more just, more equal society. We want to empower people to build popular power and gain more skills in terms of education, preparation, and resistance so we can be in a better state for creating and proposing new ideas. They also put on musical performances and plays. Yeah. We're just outside the home of Ramanita Bonilla in the mountain town of Las Marias. We good now, right? Uh, 
Yeah, it's pretty much. A group of volunteers are installing cisterns to catch rainwater. It's part of an ongoing program put together by the Mutual Aid Center of Las Marias. They came to install the cistern because it's very good. It fills up with water and you can serve yourself from it. And the kids are amazing. They're doing a great job putting in the cistern and they're having a great time. Perched atop the Central Mountain Range, Las Marias is very difficult to access. There are steep mountain roads and frequent mudslides, making this area especially vulnerable to extreme weather. And Maria left it devastated. Residents were cut off from food, water, and electricity for weeks. Word spread around the island that Las Marias was in trouble, and volunteers came from all around to help, including a group all the way from San Juan, which is on the opposite side of the island. We were here without water for a very long time, and then they brought us water. The people were very kind. They brought us water, food, everything. They brought rice, beans, they brought everything. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have eaten. We would have died. And the many that did, it was because of that. One group of volunteers ended up staying long term. They founded the town's mutual aid center, and two of them, Jose and Omar, are organizing today's event. My name's Jose Villaflores. Um, I'm known as Guri. I'm from the city, from Rio Piedras. And I moved here after the Hurricane Maria to Bucarabones in Las Marias to help out with the community and, and, and start building from the bottom up a center where we could have cultural development and different types of opportunities for the community and, and us. Before Maria hit, Jose was working three jobs in and around San Juan. He decided to give it all up to answer the call for help. Once the hurricane passed, I don't know what was it that my heart was beating fast every day, every hour when I went to sleep, just thinking that it's the time. Something was telling me that I, I needed to, to make a decision and just focus on the opportunity that we have right now. You know, other than Maria and the tragedy, the austerity measures that have been taken on our country, well, I don't know. I felt, I felt a drive and I, and I just said, let's sacrifice this and let's see if I put my strength, my focus, and all my energies on just organizing with, with, with the people, I think maybe I could kick off something that might become something bigger than what we've been imagining. This, this tank fills up with just one rain. Over the last few months, he's seen that bigger vision take form in Las Marias, as community members have become more and more involved. It's very empowering and to see people that maybe weren't so active in life being active here in the center, being active as a community leader. For me, it's beautiful and, it's, and I couldn't be happier to see that. And here's Omar Reyes. He also came all the way from San Juan in those first days and helped found the mutual aid center here in Las Marias. We have a better hope now. We still have hope. We had hope before and we will have hope Always, but now it's better hope. It's a hope more clearly of our own. 
it's our own option. It's not the option that someone comes and just tell you that that's your option. No, we are creating our own possibility and our own reality. There are now mutual aid centers all around the island. But as their numbers continue to grow, so does the threat of more austerity and state negligence. In a chilling report recently released by FEMA, the agency acknowledged its poor response to Maria and essentially told Puerto Ricans to expect something similar this upcoming hurricane season. Here's Giovanni Roberto, who we heard from at the beginning of the episode. Now the government too here in Puerto Rico is selling the idea that people should do more self-management, which is not the same idea that we are talking. But self-management in the idea of the government is that you take care of yourself. Many Puerto Ricans are careful not to let the government off the hook by assuming they're just too incompetent or that they don't have the resources to get anything done. And in many ways, there are no substitutes for the kind of large-scale recovery efforts and resource distribution that states can provide. And the truth is, the government has been very active in many ways. Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Roseo has been traveling around the U.S. in a kind of marketing campaign, promising to open the island up to foreign investors and selling off public infrastructure to the highest bidder. With this growing allegiance to a program of disaster capitalism, and after decades of neglect, it's no wonder why many in Puerto Rico have little confidence that the administration will ever step up to the plate. We don't want the help of the state right now. We want to build a project that, that can prove that we can do it without them and then compete with them in the future because they have the resources that we should have. So it, we are not turning their back to the reality that we need to fight against the state. We are trying to build political power and social fabric so it makes sense to fight against the state. It makes sense because we have an opportunity. Right now we don't have any opportunity against the state because we don't have political power. No, no size, no number, no quality organization, values in society, you know, we, <laughs> you're going to take time. Mariana has been an example of a community that refuses to believe that we don't have power. This is Christine Nieves. She helped found the Mutual Aid Center in Mariana in the municipality of Umacao, just off the eastern coast of the island. She had visited the Mutual Aid Center in Cahuas in the week after Maria hit, and she immediately knew that she wanted to do something similar. What I saw there just blew me away because I saw people that were together. I saw people that were smiling and happy and there was color and there were artists playing guitars and there were signs with beautiful bright drawings. And I just took out my notebook and took out my camera and I started documenting everything that I saw. Christine decided that she was gonna take a risk. She and her partner Luis quit their jobs and founded what's now the Mutual Aid Project of Mariana. Now we are being proactive about creating different economic models that create wealth for people in Mariana with people in Mariana in mind. 
and in engagement, co-designing it. And everything that has been happening in, in the organizing has started from a place of dignity and saying, we know our rights, we know what we deserve, and we're going to organize and we're going to demand it, and we're not going to wait. And if we have to start making it ourselves, we're going to do it. So now what we're presenting is an actual example of how government must evolve in the presence of self-governed communities. What we're doing is actually the government's job. And this is going to present something that's at some point going to have to be dealt with because we're building power. And when people are free and people are awake and people know what they're worth, then they're not being manipulated anymore. And that's our goal. And I firmly believe that the more of these communities that happen in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico will change because it's just a reflection of a different country. And so if we start from the individual, the whole community changes. And so that's where we have to begin. That's it for this edition of Making Contact, a special presentation by our friends at a new podcast called The Response. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Robert Raymond. Interviews by field producer Juan Carlos Davila. Music by Vladdy, Skew One, and Papel Machete. Tom Llewellyn is the host and executive producer. The Response is part of the Stories to Action Project, a collaboration between Shareable Post Carbon Institute, Transition US, Upstream Podcast, and News Stories. Funding was provided by the Threshold and Shift Foundations. Visit theresponsepodcast.org for transcripts, community resilience resources, and to listen to all other episodes. The Making Contact team is Lisa Redman, Anita Johnson, Salima Hamarani, Sabine Blazin, Dylan Hoyer, and I'm Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. <laughs>